as I was going to turn on the engine, my mother reached over with her hand and touched my arm. And she said, Megan, who told you you were biracial? I thought, wow, how surprising and, and very inconvenient it was that with a belly full of carbs, I was going to have to give my mother a lecture on classical genetics. I looked at her, her face looking just like mine, minus the freckles, and I think I said something really elegant and intelligent, like, uh, what? So she repeated the question. Megan, who told you that you were biracial? I raised you to be white. Welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. I'm your co-host, Caitlin Posey, and this podcast is all about youth ministry, young people on the margins of society and the church, and how we might better love, serve, and learn from those young people. We're convinced that these often overlooked or forgotten adolescents belong in the church and that our youth ministry should take them seriously. So, with each episode, we'll take a look at these ideas and together wrestle with what the future of youth ministry might just look like. Let's dive in. Hello, all of you wonderful people. We are thrilled to introduce you to a familiar face, Megan DeWald from Princeton Theological Seminary. She's going to be on the podcast today speaking out of her experience at the 2020 Forum as part of our uh, TED Talk speakers. Megan was one of those that we had asked to come give a story from the field to the group. So she does. And she, man, really does not hold back. I mean, Megan has such a gift of being vulnerable and just inviting everybody else into that vulnerability. So she tells this beautiful story of her and her mother and this encounter that they have um, five years ago. And it's just stunning. So we were so thrilled to have Megan with us last February and are even more excited to share with you that experience on the podcast today. A little bit about what Megan does in Princeton, New Jersey. She is the assistant director of the Institute for Youth Ministry at Princeton Seminary. So in this role, she runs the IYM Certificate in Youth and Theology program, as well as the new International Certificate in Youth Theology and Innovation. Megan also manages their digital resources and organizes events and learning experiences for people engaged in youth ministry. So she is just a little bit busy up there. What she also does for us at the Missing Voices Project is she is one of our theologians in residence, which means that she'll walk alongside a couple of our churches over the next few years, offering them friendship, uh, guidance, and a theological imagination to their work because it is important to think critically about what we're doing in youth ministry. So Megan's a great partner in that for some of our churches, and we're glad to have her on the team. So welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. Two months after I filed for divorce from my husband of eight years, my mother came to visit me for my 33rd birthday. I was living in Nashville, Tennessee at the time, And there was this really great Italian BYOB place um, just off I-65. It was called Mamma Mia's. 
and it was right next to a um, gas station and a liquor store. And that's where I wanted to go for my birthday because I'm really classy. <laughs> so we invited uh, one of my dear friends, Nathan, to meet us there. And when we arrived, we learned that there was an hour-long wait for a table. Not wanting to ruin the, the good vibes of my birthday, um, Nathan sprung into action. He ran over to the liquor store and got us a bottle of wine. I looked in the trunk of my car, and there I had some Dixie cups left over from a youth group game. So there we sat, the three of us, on the curb outside of Mamma Mia's, Nashville, Tennessee, drinking wine out of Dixie cups and talking about my future. Without much of my consent, uh, the conversation eventually became about um, who I was going to marry next, how I was going to meet this person, and then, inevitably, what my online dating profile should say. So this was fun. Here was my mother, all uh, four feet seven inches of her, uh, 68 years old, with a, a beautiful English-as-a-second-language accent. She was uh, born in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, or as uh, some of us may know it, that place where we take our youth groups on short-term mission trips. And uh, she came to this country in 1966 when she was just 20 years old. She had a job lined up for herself in Miami, Florida, and it was there that she met my father, a skinny, freckled white dude. So uh, that should explain, you know, my face. <laughs> Meanwhile, next to, um, next to my mother was my friend Nathan, a guy I met through my eventual-to-be ex-husband who came from a very godly Christian family um, with very godly family values, who eventually made peace with the fact that their son may marry me, a, uh, a soon-to-be divorcee. Eventually, they even prayed that it might be so. It was really a, so much better than the alternative. The alternative being that Nathan was and is and will be to come a gay man. And despite some of the uh, evidence of my dating history in high school, gay men just really aren't my type. <laughs> With these two in cahoots, I knew, I knew that I was in some trouble. My mom, who is so tech savvy and knows her way around the internet so well, she believes that every spam message that she receives in her email inbox is sent deliberately and directly to her, and sometimes she likes to respond. Um, she felt like what I should do in my online dating profile was to play up what she saw as my best attribute. That is that I have a master's degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. Because if there's anything I think all of us in this room can agree on, it's that nothing is more attractive than a woman who can decline a noun in Koine Greek. Okay. Now settle down, fellas. <laughs> I don't remember how to. <laughs> Nathan, meanwhile, he definitely knew his way around the online dating world, and uh, he felt like my best play was to uh, play up my declining youth and beauty. He liked to remind me that, you know, I was getting to my mid-30s, which meant that um, my childbearing years were coming to an end, and I should, you know, hurry the game along. So, like I said, this was a lot of fun for me. 
Now, at some point, after they were coming up with their various ideas, at some point, uh, the three of us were led to our table inside the restaurant, like civilized people, where we were drinking out of actual glasses. And Nathan thought that the ideas we were all coming up with, with a little wine in our systems, was those ideas were so great that they needed to be recorded. So he started taking notes on paper napkins. I can't tell you where those are, um, but I can tell you that I brought the conversation eventually to an abrupt end when I shared what I thought would be my best take. Would you like to hear it? It's really good. Divorced, biracial, bisexual youth pastor. She'll take what she can get. <laughs> right? I thought it was great. Pithy, honest, refreshing. Anyway, for the rest of the night, we just uh, changed the subject, ate our pasta. My tiramisu had a birthday candle in it. And uh, we made sure that we were all safe and sober enough to drive home. My mother and I, we said our goodbyes to Nathan in the parking lot, and we got in my car. My mother in the passenger seat, me and the driver. And as I was going to turn on the engine, my mother reached over with her hand and touched my arm. And she said, Megan, who told you you were biracial? I thought, wow, how surprising and, and very inconvenient it was that with a belly full of carbs, I was going to have to give my mother a lecture on classical genetics. I looked at her, her face looking just like mine, minus the freckles, and I think I said something really elegant and intelligent like, uh, <laughs> what? So she repeated the question. Megan, who told you that you were biracial? I raised you to be white. I didn't know how to answer that question. And I have to tell you, I, I still don't. I knew that I had brought the conversation to an abrupt end. Um, but I have to tell you, if I can be honest, I, I'm used to that kind of thing. I, I have a... Uh, track record of, in social situations, bringing conversations to their end um, by saying something that's a little too honest for the situation. It's kind of my brand. <laughs> I knew that, you know, maybe Nathan was uncomfortable. He had been by my side throughout the whole horrific ordeal of my divorce. And maybe he just didn't know if we were at the making jokes in front of my mother about it kind of stage yet. Or I thought, maybe my mom is adjusting yet again to me identifying myself as bisexual since, you know, uh, now that I wasn't going to be married anymore, the whole lady question was back on the table, so to speak. But no, my friends, no. I invite you with me to behold what I can only describe as the power and the impact of white supremacy. The first time that I make a divorce joke, the first time since my divorce that I remind my mother that I'm still here, still queer, the question that is burning on my mother's heart throughout her entire plate of her chicken piccata is why I don't see myself as white. Despite all of her hard work and sacrifices, Despite deciding not to teach me to speak Spanish when we lived in Salt Lake City, Utah the first seven years of my life, 
despite her decision every time that we moved, and we moved a lot, to live in neighborhoods where she was the only brown person on the block, because those were the neighborhoods with the good schools. Despite not going home, not going back to Honduras, the entire time I was growing up and missing weddings and funerals and babies being born to relatives I'll never meet. Despite, as I was getting older, um, and friends would call the house. We used to have this thing called a house phone. And uh, my, my mom would answer sometimes, and then she'd have to hear me explain to my white friends that, that no, um, that person who answered, that, that wasn't my maid. That was my mother. Despite all of this and so much more, and my mother wanted to know, Megan, who told you that you were biracial? I raised you to be white. Now, it's been a little over five years now since that dinner. And it's taken me, honestly, those whole five years to understand what my mother was really saying. At first, I thought she was angry with me, you know? I mean, how dare I disobey her still <laughs> into my 30s? But I was doing some reading a few months ago, and the, the book I was reading was called The Bible. You may have heard of it. And uh, I came across this question that has really haunted me ever since. It comes right at the beginning of the whole thing, right in a passage where people have assumed that the person who is, or the, the asker of this question, rather, um, is, is angry, is upset. The question goes like this. It goes, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Now, a little spoiler alert for you. The asker of this question is God, specifically the Lord God of Genesis 3, so not exactly a one-to-one -one correlation to my mother, I'll grant you. But you remember the story. It comes after the one that we spoke about yesterday with Nate. God creates these two people, puts them in a garden. Um, they ate some fruit they weren't supposed to, uh, disobeying. And then fast forward, we get to this question, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Now, I used to read God's response here and hear in my, my um, head this, this voice of like, a, like an angry cop, you know? Who told you you were naked? And then the litany of what I presume to be punishment that followed, pain in childbirth, uh, hard work, patriarchy, death. But when I read this passage back a few months ago, my eyes just froze on that question. And suddenly, I heard my mother's voice. Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were vulnerable? Who told you to be afraid? I raised you in this garden so that you wouldn't have to know. But no, they did. And in response to this knowing, God did something that my mother also did for me. God clothed the humans to protect them. And like my mother also, God used a particular material, skin. I raised you to be white, my mother said. 
She wasn't angry with me. She just didn't want me to be naked and afraid. Thank you. Okay, let's look to the questions. Megan's story revealed a lot about how our identities are complex and cannot be reduced to one experience or interpretation. Young people are also made up of complex identities and experiences. How do you honor the complex individual young people in your care and avoid making assumptions or internalizing stereotypes about them? Were there any moments in Megan's story that surprised you or even made you uncomfortable? What were those moments and why do you think you were surprised or uncomfortable? Let's spend a few minutes together. Thank you so much, Megan, for that beautiful story. And I feel really grateful that we were able to share in that with Megan at the forum and again now with you all at the podcast. One thing that stuck out to me during Megan's talk was the way that she talked about God's care for us in Genesis 3 and how her mother was caring for her in the same way. I felt like it was such a generous reading of Genesis 3 that I just had never heard before. I too similarly read that passage and imagine God as the bad cop, the one that's accusing or just looking down in shame. But the way that she reframes that is so beautiful. And it is a God who is protective and loving and caring. And the way that she described God and her mother was just so grace-filled. And I was so grateful for that for that reframing of Genesis 3. I'll have to think on that a little bit more. If you would like to hear a little bit more about Megan, you can find her at iym.ptsem.edu. Her bio's there and some of her writings. Also, she puts out a lot of resources for youth ministers. Um, she's got a fantastic digital resource hub for youth ministers who are doing ministry during COVID-19. So be sure to go check that out. And once again, thank you, Megan, for telling your story and uh, sharing that with us. If you would like to keep up with our work at the Missing Voices Project, check out our website at missingvoices.flagler.edu, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, Flagler College Youth Ministry. Okay, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week. 